continue in our second Sunday of Advent, Why Christmas? As I told you last week, we would be focusing today on Because God Made a Promise to an Old Friend. That's the title of today's message. We want to kind of go back again through the Old Testament a little bit and connect the dots that lead us up to this day. And so we wonder... Even in this Advent season, what, what is this all about? What brought us to this point? When, what has brought us to this point in American culture and American history that we even celebrate uh, something called Christmas? Well, it, it began long ago with a promise. And as I've been considering these, this idea of promise, um, I, I reflected on some of my own promises that I've made through life, certainly the promise I made on, on February the 23rd, 1980 to my wife and the unique character of that promise between her and I that these, you know, now almost 40 years we've, we have promised to be committed one to another and to partner through life and to, to love one another more than we would love our own selves and to uh, stay committed in that promise to one another. There was another profo- profound promise that I made um, back in, uh, let's see, it would have been August of 1997. My dad had just come out of open heart surgery and he was still in an intensive care and intubated and could not speak because, of, you know, the, the intubation process in his throat. And, and he kept trying to, to talk to me and it was becoming more and more frustrating for him as he was trying to articulate some words to me. And, and I spent some time trying to guess, Dad, what do you, what do you need? You want, you want a doctor? You need a nurse? And he'd shake his head no. And, and you know, then, then I went through the litany of you, you can't drink yet. He, yeah, I understand, you know. And then finally um, it occurred to me maybe to ask him, are you asking me to make sure I take care of Mom? Yes. Dad, I promise you. I will take care of Mama. And I won't break it. Promises mean a great deal to each and every one of us. And yet they're not something that we have generated on our own. The idea of contractual commitment is a reflection of what we have gotten from God. It is part of his attributes, this wonderful promise-making God that is reflected in our own lives as we promise to one another. How we got here to this day is because God made a promise to his friend Abram that he would send his own son to be the hope for all of mankind. Even to the point of his own son's death on our behalf so that his son might rise certainly on our behalf and to this day and for the rest of eternity God recalls 
His promise that He made for you. Turn with me, if you will, in your pew Bibles. You can turn to page 11 as we begin in chapter 17 of Genesis to look at this promise-making God. This is the story where God comes to Abram when he's 99 years old after the birth of Ishmael, about 13, 14 years after the birth of Ishmael, his son by the flesh. And God makes a promise to Abraham, and it says this, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make a covenant between me and you, or a promise between me and you, and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold my covenant promise is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations no longer shall your name be called abram but you shall be called abraham for i have made you the father of a multitude of nations i will make you exceedingly fruitful i will make you into nations and kings will come from you and i will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your offspring after you. What an amazing promise. Some things for you and I to notice is that this promise is everlasting and expansive and that God is much bigger than you and I could have ever thought or imagined. God first comes to Abram and he says, I want you to understand who's talking to you, Abram. It is El Shaddai. It is the Lord God Almighty. The Lord who is able to do all things. The Lord who has uh, no limitations on his abilities to make things come to pass. The Lord who is able to create something from nothing. The Lord who brought all that is seen and unseen into existence. The Lord which is holier than you could have ever imagined, Abram. The Lord which is larger than you could have ever thought of, Abram. That's the Lord that has come to you, Abram, to say, I'm going to make a promise to you. The God Almighty. What is it that God promises? He promises that Abram, the name which means exalted father, will become Abraham, the father of many nations. Now, you know, I'm old enough now to where if we had had a doctor's appointment and the doctor said to Lee and I, You're, you guys are going to be parents. I would chuckle. I might more than chuckle. I might laugh for two reasons. One is it's impossible. Two is because i got a big fat lawsuit and I'm going to be rich. We got her tube side, you know, years and years ago. Yeah, that probably wasn't good, was it? <laughs> it sounded good two days ago when I thought about that. 
But it's impossible. And you can imagine what Abraham's thinking here. There's an encounter with God, and God says, I'm going to make you many nations. And Abram's thinking, I just got this one kid over here. Not sure how this is going to happen. And I'm 100 years old, by the way, God, in case you haven't noticed. There's some, there's some real challenges to, to what you're saying here. And you know, Sarah, she didn't have, never mind, I'm not going down that road again. Um, uh, Sarah, it's just not a real good time for her either. And God says, Abram, don't forget who you are dealing with. This isn't a, a God of your imagination. This isn't a God that man has made up. This isn't a God like any of the other nations. But it is me, El Shaddai, God Almighty, who has entered into your life with profundity and with power and with a promise that you will be the father of many nations. And not only that, Abram, You're going to be the father of a multitude of nations. And not only that, Abram, kings will come from you. Rulers, a royal line will come from you that will exist forever. Abram's probably thinking at this point, well, that's pretty imaginative. And then something even more profound happens. The sovereign God changes the name of Abram. You and I name our children, and, and sometimes it's after relatives, and, or sometimes it's you know, the most popular name we've heard on TV. I think the last name I heard was Cody. is like one of the most popular names for boys and um, I don't know what it was for girls. Never had any. Um, probably Janice. We'll say Janice. But that's about as much thought as we put in our names that we name our children. We don't realize this kid's going to be stuck with this name. for My name, by the way, in case you didn't know, it's Henry Crowell Bradford III. What were my parents thinking? They didn't know how, you know, that's almost 18 letters. If I have to sign out my whole name, it takes 10 minutes. And can you imagine how I got picked on as a kid in school when people asked, what's his name? Henry Crowell Bradford III. Beat him up. I mean, it just says that all over me. Hit him. Then you throw an older sister into the mix that would call you Hanky Panky. Or Brad the Brat. Or Henrietta. But when God names something, when God names someone, he is exercising his sovereign control. And in the ancient Middle East, at the time someone was named, they were named not only for a purpose, but for a personality and a, and a future as well. And God exercises his sovereign authority by renaming Abram to Abraham. 
Why would God do that? Not just so that Abram would feel good about the promise that God had made, but that for every human being that ever came forth from faith through the seed of Abraham would understand that God's promises are real and true. Just look at his name. It wasn't so much for Abram's sake as it was for the sake of you and I to look back upon and understand that God makes promises and God keeps his promises. Everything changed for mankind at that point. I will establish my covenant between me and you your offspring after you throughout their generations and an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. One of the things I I really do not like about the Christmas season, it's a pet peeve, and you shouldn't feel inflicted by it. This is my own personal little pet peeve. Sandy's well aware of it. She's heard it now for almost three Christmases. I really don't like the song Silent Night. I know some of you are going to write letters and tell me I'm a heretic. And, but it gives a depiction of something that's just not true. The night wasn't silent. Angels were blasting trumpets. Choirs, celestial choirs were singing There was a woman in labor pain. There were donkeys and cows mooing and baying. There were people on the street. Life was going on. And it's in the midst of that life that God brings the most profound event for all of mankind by sending His Son, the second person of the Trinity, onto earth for our redemption. To keep the promise that He had made that the king would come from the loins of his friend Abram that would be an everlasting king for the rest of the world to see. We romanticize it. We cutify it. And we speak of little babies and, and all sorts of little cherubs around and all that. But something more powerful than the bomb that hit Hiroshima happened. Something more extensive and powerful than anything you and I have ever known before in our lives happened. The King of kings and the Lord of all lords came to redeem mankind and to establish his kingdom on the earth as a fulfillment of the promise that God Almighty made to mankind to be their king and to be their God. You see, the Advent season that you and I celebrate today is more significant and more powerful and more holy and more sacred than any song that we could ever sing. The idea that you and I get to sit in a church building and come together before the throne of God to celebrate the profound advent of God should make us quake 
in humility and humbleness, and yes, with great joy. God didn't come as a baby to be cute. It wasn't a sweet idea that God came as an infant. He came as an infant so that he might redeem the moment of conception to the moment of passing. From the moment of birth to the moment of resurrection. That every part of your life and every part of my life would be totally and fully redeemed by El Shaddai. That we might worship him forever and ever. Amen. Moving down to verse 16, we see the second part of the promise turns things upside down, a new and a living way. It was common amongst the Canaanite people and the people of that land to sacrifice their firstborn. It was not uncommon at all for the pagan religions to take the firstborn child and physically and literally sacrifice them to the gods of Moloch and other Canaanite gods. And yet God says this, Moreover, I will give you a son by Sarah, her, and I will bless her, and she shall become nations, and kings and people will come from her. Abraham falls on his face and he laughs and he says to him, Such a child to be born to a man who's a hundred years old? Sarah's ninety years old? Look, God, let me, let me show you a better way. I've got Ishmael over here. We don't have to exercise much faith. You can make the promise through him. He was my work. He's my doing. He's my plan. He's what I have the agenda for. Oh, that Ishmael might live before you and God said no. Sarah, your wife will bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring. Then in verse, or chapter 22 and 8, we see the sacrifice of Isaac. The boy will go over there, and we'll worship and we'll come to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and he laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took his hand to the fire and the knife. And so went with both of them together, and Isaac said to his father, My father, and he said, Here I am, son. Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? You get the picture right? Isaac understands what's going on. He's carried the wood up the hill. He knows what's about to occur. And yet, there's such a trust for his father's promise. There's such a love for his father. Isaac knows that the promise is through him. It's already been foretold in these previous verses we just read. He knows he's the one who God is going to bring forth everything. And yet, his father is taking him up the hill. To offer him.
Who's the offering, Papa? I'm always amazed at Isaac. I know the story is the focal point of Abraham's faith. But I'm also amazed by Isaac's faith. He was probably old enough and physically strong enough to take his 100-year-old dad down. And yet there's so much trust in his father's plan and his father's promise to him and the faith that his father has in his father God that Abraham doesn't struggle, he doesn't run, he doesn't fight, and we find later he lies down on the altar without struggle. And Abraham said, God will provide himself a lamb for the burnt offering, my son. We know how the story turns out. Remember, he lifts his hand to sacrifice his son and God stops him. God says, Abraham, I've got, some, Abraham, I've got something better. A more perfect sacrifice. A more wonderful sacrifice. A pure sacrifice. Without blemish. I will keep the promise that I've made to you by the sacrifice of my firstborn. My son, my only begotten son, I will send him to the world that he might be the Paschal Lamb for mankind. God turned everything upside down at that point. He took every work of mankind, even the best that man could offer through his firstborn, and God turned it upside down and said, that's not good enough. Your works are not good enough. It will be my work and mine, and mine alone, that will make this promise come true. It is I who will come to mankind, and it is I who will sacrifice my son, his blood shed for the remission of men's sins. We have a promise which is everlasting and expansive, and we have a promise that turned everything upside down. And then finally, in our New Testament reading this morning, we see a promise of consolation. We see this amazing story of Simeon, a man who's righteous and devout. He's waiting, it says, for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and God had revealed to him, you won't pass, you won't, you won't go through death until you see the Messiah of the Lord come. And finally, Simeon breaks out in this song. Lord, now you can let your servant depart in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation. That you have prepared in the presence of all people. I want you to get the language there correctly. I want you to get the understanding of what's going on here correctly. When Simeon says that you have prepared before all the people... Think back to the 23rd Psalm. You've prepared a table for me in the presence of my enemy. Think about all of the Jewish sacrificial system where the sacrifice was prepared before it was offered. Simeon is speaking to the El Shaddai, the Lord of the Old Testament, the God of the New Testament, and saying, Lord, you have prepared this comfort for us, for all people to see your Son He will be a light and a revelation to the Gentile. He is the true Israel. 
He will be the, what Israel never was, a light to every nation, to all the Gentiles. He will shine forth across the entire globe. He will fulfill the mandate given to Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. He will be the one who gives the mandate in Matthew 28 to go baptize into Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world. His kingdom shall reign forever and ever from globe end to globe end. From eternity past to eternity present, beyond into eternity future. Lord, your servant Simeon can now go because I've seen what you have prepared for us. The glory of your people Israel, the king of kings has come. And it says that the father and the mother, Joseph and Mary, marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel. Not everybody was going to see it. And for a sign that is to be opposed, and a sword will pierce through your soul also. You see, there's a better Isaac that came. There's a better Israel. There's the true king. The one who descended from Abraham and from David, whose throne is from everlasting to everlasting. He came to die for you and I. He came to be crucified for you and I. He came to live for you and I. Because God made a promise. You remember last week we saw the beginning of the promise in the garden when God said, you will bruise his heel but he will crush your head. And now the promise becomes even more clear. That seed promised in the garden is now promised again to Abram that he would come and he would establish his throne forever and forever. And you and I must grasp this. We must understand that that's what this season is about. It's not just about cutesy stuff. It's not just about singing good songs. It's not about snickerdoodles and cookies. It is the most profound and powerful thing that has ever happened in history. God thud upon the earth with his foot as a child to redeem us from insemination to resurrection. What can be new about me this Christmas understanding these things? Well, the first thing is this. Because God's promises are bigger than I can imagine, I will learn to look forward to what God is fulfilling in my life. God's at work in your life, fulfilling the promises he made. You remember when God took Abram out to the sky and he pointed up and said, Count the stars if you can. Sands of the sea, so will your offspring be. Don't you realize you're one of those stars? One of them was named for you. 
And that as good as Abram's promise was with he and God, God's promises to you as well. That as Abraham's offspring, you and I are the beneficiaries of that promise. God is at work in your life. God is bringing you in deeper and deeper relationship with him. And he's using every single circumstance in your life. Those things which we call bad, those things which we call good, he's using them all for your good. Look for what he's doing. Look where you might trust him. Look where you might join Isaac in walking up the hill. And say, Lord, you will provide a better sacrifice. Be close to me. Second thing is because God's promises are dependent upon his provision, I will learn to live more confidently and expectantly. Learn to live more confidently and expectantly. Are you, are you looking for what God's doing in your life? Are you expecting good things from God? I tend to be a little bit skeptical at times. I tend to think, uh, God, this isn't looking really good right now. I could join Abraham in saying, hey, I got some better solutions over here you might want to take a look at. How about you? You ever thought of how you might help God out in solving some of your problems? Remember what God said. It is El Shaddai who comes to you and tells you, I will take care of you. Rest. Well, that doesn't mean take a nap, by the way. That means faithfully trust him in everything that you're doing. That he will bring the outcome that is needed. That he will take your faithfulness and make a wonderful result from where you've been faithful. So I can imagine that God, I can look for what God is fulfilling in my life. I want to be more expectant. I want to live more confidently. And then finally, because God's promise of his sacrifice, I will live in belief of him and live in his rest. Hebrews chapter 4 tells us, now is the time for us to enter into not our own rest, but his rest. He has made it happen. He has kept the promise. He has sealed the promise with the blood of his own son. This Christmas is the understanding that God is for you. Working in your life to bring every promise he's made to you. Yes and amen. Let's pray.